And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drum? Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie. And we're here to take an intersectional, feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read but you can't forget? We've got that too. Comic books? Nonfiction? It's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious about your favorite new reads. I am Maggie. Welcome back to Rebel Girls Book Club, where this week we're going to talk about our top 10 books of 2021. It's very exciting. How how has your 2021 in terms of reading been so far, Maggie? It's been really good. I had a really rough year in 2020 reading. I feel like I wasn't picking up things that I liked very much. And I got into a really bad slump at the end of the year where I just didn't read anything at all. And then this year, I haven't hit any slumpy points. And I've actually really enjoyed everything that I've read. Narrowing this down to a top 10 for me was really hard. I read almost 45 star books this year. So it was really, really difficult to narrow it in. So the rest of the world was on fire, but reading went okay. What about you? I think that reading went kind of okay. I did have that issue that I think we've mentioned in past episodes where the library kept on stealing my audiobooks. I think primarily the books I read were through audio, except when I was looking at my top 10, I realized that half of them were read with my eyes. So that's interesting. <laughs> I don't know. It was pretty it was pretty good. I think I discovered this year and 2020 as well, the the power of comfort reads, but I've really leaned in this year. And I think when I was doing my comfort reads in 2020, and earlier, probably in 2021, I really struggled with trying to find something comfortable, but also something that matched my ethical sensibilities. And I think for the most part, I've gotten a lot better at that. Because I'm more hooked into the book community, I can find reads that, you know, represent a diverse array of characters and ideas and beliefs. And I think the quality of my reading has gotten a lot better, even when it's just comfort reads. Nice. I love that. I feel like that's something that takes a really long time to figure out is where to find the kinds of reads that you both like and want to read, but also feel like they represent your values and the kinds of things that you want to be reading outside of just plot elements, if that makes sense. And it can be really hard to do to find the outlets that plug you in to all of that stuff. So I'm proud of you. <laughs> so do we want to get started with sharing our top 10 reads? Oh, by the way, this was not hard for me. And I don't know why. I just I looked over everything and I was like, what had? So I'm going to preface this with saying, I don't know that these are the best books I've read, but these are the books that I feel like are lasting with me. They're my sticky books. And they're the ones that I keep thinking about no matter what. And there were actually some really good books that I had read this year that I kicked off the list in favor of books that I felt like were going to stick with me more. Oh, I totally feel that. I think that ultimately that was how I made my decision too, because I was looking at my list and I was like, wow, I was really lucky. I read a lot of books that I genuinely thought were really, really good this year. But the first ones that went were books that were like, yeah, objectively looking back, that was a great book. And in the moment, it really floored me. But I don't remember very much about it six months down the line. So I had a similar process. Are yours in any particular order? They are. I've ordered it from 10 to 1. So I'm just going to do it. <laughs> 
same. All right. Do you want to kick us off then? What was in your number 10 spot? Okay. So this is a book I read very recently. It is called The Pearson Christmas Bake Off by Jenny Oliver. And this is not the most diverse book. This is completely a comfort read, but it was the comfort read. Listeners may know of the new Netflix Christmas movie called A Castle for Christmas. It's not particularly good, but what it does do is it really hones in on everyone's fantasy because there's a Scottish castle and it's just wonderful and there's a cozy knitting crew and it really hones in too on community. And that's what I really loved about this book. In this book, it stars a young woman who lost her mother sometime when she was a teenager and her mother taught her to love baking and her mom had a bakery and she is a kindergarten teacher currently, our our protagonist. And her whole community in this cute little idyllic English village gets together to send her off to Paris to study under this baker who changed baking. And he's this big famous baker. And so she's a part of this competition to become his apprentice. And it's all during the Christmassy months. And there is romance in this book. But what I actually really like about it is that it doesn't focus too heavy on the romance. This was one of my few straight holiday reads this year, but it was okay because it was so cute. So it doesn't focus too heavily on the romance. It focuses more on this young woman's dealing with grief and and figuring out what she wants from her life and finding out how to love baking again. And also on community. And there are just so many beautiful types of relationships throughout the book. And so I don't know, it's just a really fantastic read that I think will stick with me, not because it's the best read in the world, although it's not bad by any means, but because it's so idyllic and so nice and warm and fuzzy. I love that. That sounds like such a great time. Also, a Scottish castle is everyone's dream, or at least it's also my dream. So I feel like I can, I can at least co-sign that feeling. Let's see here. In my number 10 spot, I've got Plain Bad Heroines by Emily M. Danforth, which I read earlier this year and wouldn't shut up about. I don't think I talked about it on the podcast much, but Harmony's heard a lot about this book, generally speaking. It's a horror novel, which means that it's got a little sprinkling of magic fantasy stuff. So I'm going to keep the synopsis pretty vague, but it's about... It's essentially a lesbian horror story that takes place in two timelines at an isolated boarding school in Rhode Island and also has a lot to do with wasps, which if you know me is kind of every single thing that I could want in a book. This year, I really found my stride with horror. I always knew that I liked horror, but it was never a genre that I felt like I read a ton of. It was just, I would pick one or two up every year and be like, oh yeah, I do in fact really like horror and then move on from it. And this year I really went hard and dove in. And this is the one that for me ticked all the boxes and made me feel all of the things. So that's my number 10 spot. Aw, I love that. I tried that book and it was a little slow for me, but I think it's because I was trying to read it with my ears. So I would like to see if the reading experience would be different if I read it with my eyes. It's definitely a real slow burn, both on the horror and everything else. It's a very, very long book. I think that from what I've seen, that's been most people's criticism of it is the first half is real slow burn, slow build. And then everything kind of hits the fan in the second half of the book. So I think that if you can make it through that first chunk, the payoff is really good. But I 
really like a slow build and that tension. So I think that that's why that slowness worked for me. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to give that book another shot because I do like the sound of lesbian horror and boarding schools. (laughs) My next book is After Your Age, Evie Brown by Talia Hibbert. And this is a book we're going to talk more about on the podcast. In 2020, I finished Get a Life, Chloe Brown, and that was kind of an introduction to me into romance in general. And I really loved it. It was life-changing for me. It was my new favorite romance novel. Now I read romance novels. And I read the Danny Brown book as well in 2021. But Evie Brown was really big for me because... It helps me think about autism in a new way. And this also happened in conjunction with me studying education in grad school and, you know, learning more about ability studies and disability studies and coming to terms more with my own identity as somebody who sometimes has disabilities. And it talks a lot about autism in the book and it gave me a lot of new pathways for discovering what that could look like. And the romance was cute and everything, and Evie is my favorite of the Brown sisters, but it wasn't even my favorite book in the series. I think it was, it it sticks with me though, just because I felt like it had a very nuanced way of discussing autism, and I don't know. I think that that depiction is going to stick with me further. (laughs) I think that makes a lot of sense. I've only currently read Get a Life, Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert, and I liked that book the romance for me didn't super do it but a lot of what I liked about it was the representation of chronic illness and chronic fatigue which I have different chronic illnesses but really spoke to me and I feel like something Tolly Hibbert does so well is explore nuanced topics in romance that don't just feel like the backdrop of what's happening for the romance but just make the characters feel like full-fleshed real people Which is often, I think, something that I personally struggle with in a romance is that I want it to tackle bigger things, but it has to be done in a way that it doesn't just feel like the backdrop of whatever is happening. Which, funnily enough, my number nine is also a romance, which I never thought was ever going to happen. But my number nine is People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry. I also read Beach Read by Emily Henry this year. Both of those books are absolutely fantastic. Premise of People We Meet on Vacation is a friends-to-lover story between kind of a straight-laced teacher and a very loose and sort of wild travel writer. They go on vacation together every single summer until they don't. And then this book follows what happens when they revive that summer trip for one last time to kind of try and salvage their friendship. And I loved this book. It was so, first of all, the characters for me were really, really shippable. But I think that for me, what really stuck was the main character's struggles against capitalism and the idea that having a dream job can define you for a while. But what happens when that dream goes away? And what are you giving up? And what are you sacrificing? And what is actually your real life? And also... If you like something, do you have to make it your job? Is that the way to go about things? All of that stuff really were the main themes of this novel. And then on top of that, we have this very will they, won't they friends to lovers. And I think as well, something this novel does really well is build up the tension of the romance, which has been unfolding for 10 years. But you go back throughout the novel and see snippets of every single summer vacation they go on that leads to the one where they blow up. 
which to me worked really well in making the romance feel sellable and believable and understanding why the characters felt how they did about each other. But to me, Emily Henry just writes books that, I don't know, feel like they very much capture my sort of millennial Gen Z cusp struggle in this world. And People We Meet on Vacation really did it for me. That sounds like a great book. I can't wait to add it to my list. I love the anti-capitalist themes. Are they direct or is this just your interpretation? Definitely, I think more my interpretation, but it's not a huge leap. Okay, okay. Interesting, interesting. I feel like all romance novels have anti-capitalist themes. And maybe we should do a series about that in the future. (laughs) I think so too. My next one is not a romance novel, but it is a crime story, which Maggie might appreciate. Because I don't usually, I'm not about the crime genre. I'm not about mysteries. But this mystery I really loved, and it's called Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey. And this is sticking with me because it's a genre that I don't usually fuck with, but it is also a book that has magical elements. So of course I did end up fucking with it. (laughs) And it's about this woman who is a private detective or a private investigator. And her sister is this, she has a twin sister and her sister is a magical human who is away at a boarding school teaching magical arts. And they don't talk because our protagonist is a muggle, essentially. And something happens at the magical boarding school. There's a death and they end up hiring our protagonist. And our protagonist goes and she pretends to be magical so that she can investigate this this death. And it's kind of like it's got elements of teen drama, which I really like. But it's mostly just this middle-aged woman who feels really inadequate in her life and is sad and is an alcoholic trying to rekindle a relationship that she's lost with her sister and, you know, being sad and noir. (laughs) I don't think I used that right, but it's those vibes. It's a little grunge. I love it. It sounds so good. One of Sarah Gailey's other books, Upright Woman Wanted, almost made my list this year, which is about outlaw librarians, which I desperately need Harmony to read. I already read it. Oh, you did? I didn't know that. And then their new release is on its way to me from the library. So I'm excited to check out more from them. Oh, does Sarah Gailey use they, them pronouns? They do indeed. I didn't know that. Okay, well, there we go. There we go. I'll put that one on my list. I hadn't heard of Magic for Liars before you mentioned it to me a couple weeks ago. Yes. Okay, wonderful. And what's your next read, Maggie? So my next read is something that I have a bone to pick with with the rest of the internet because this book has terrible reviews. I'm talking like I Googled it to get ready for this episode and it's got a 2.84 on Goodreads. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, right. That's really bad. I don't understand. The book is The Perishing by Natasha Dion. I think that the problem that this book has is that the pitch that's out there everywhere is wrong. And it's leading people who want something that's going to feel real sci fi fantasy to a book that's ultimately a literary fiction historical novel that's got a sprinkle of unexplained metaphorical magic in it. So if that's something that you're into, clearly it's something that I'm into. I think you're really going to like this book. The bulk of this book is about Lou, who is the first Black woman to be a journalist at the LA Times in the 1930s. She's an orphan who's lost her memory and is trying to put her confusion about 
her origins and her past before she turns 16 behind her until while she's writing a an article she meets a firefighter and discovers that while she doesn't know him she's actually been drawing his face over and over and over again since she was a child so there's a smidge of that sff stuff happening in here but it's mostly a novel about racism and classism and the depression and the upcoming war that's set in la And Dion has one of the strongest commands of language of any book that I read this year. This book was beautiful from start to finish. So I think that if that pitch sounds good and interesting to you, you'd really like this book. But if you're really looking for something that's deeply science fiction fantasy, this isn't going to be your bag. And that's sort of what the synopsis tries to sell it as being. Oh, so you think it's mismarketing? I do. And I actually, I don't use Goodreads anymore. But after seeing that it had a 2.84, I was like, what the fuck? And I logged in. And I will say that pretty much every single low review at least on the top 20, was like, this book is just not what I expected it to be. And I feel like it was mismarketed. So I don't think that this was just coming from me. I feel like this is maybe the vibe that's happening around it. But I thought it was a really excellent book. All right, my next book is really weird. And Maggie apparently doesn't like it that much, which is wild to me. I already know what it's gonna be. I already know what it's gonna be. (laughs) My next book is called This is my number seven, by the way. Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno Garcia. This is a book that also has noir vibes. Apparently, I'm just really into mysteries this year because I have two of them on my list. And it is kind of a mystery and it's it's very gothic as the title suggests. And it's about 1920s era Mexico. And this girl goes to an estate to go comfort her cousin who might be going kind of crazy. And then there's quasi supernatural elements, (laughs) but it's wonderful. And also fungus, fungus is fun. Fungus is hip, fungus is in. (laughs) It's a weird read. It's a really weird read. And it, it has, the plot has not necessarily stuck with me but there are vivid images from this book that just like stick with me. And I also really enjoyed it. I was not a huge fan of Gods of Jade and Shadow, which is the other book that I've read by Silvia Moreno Garcia. But this book, for whatever reason, like really hooked me from the get go. I think because there's just so much. And so if you don't like so much, then maybe it's not the book for you. But there's a lot and it's all very fun, in my opinion. I think my problems with that book stem from the fact that it was marketed really heavily as horror and that's what I was expecting and I don't know for me that it hit the metrics of horror. There's some horror elements. Elements, yeah, but I don't know that I would necessarily classify it as horror. My feelings on this book were that I didn't jive so much with the first half of this book, and then the fungus happened, and then I really jived with the fungus half of the book. If you know, you know. But as a spoiler, another Sylvia Moreno Garcia book is in my number three spot, so I can also really jive with this author. That's really funny, though. I knew as soon as you said it what it was going to be. It's a fun book. It's got a lot. There's a lot of genres happening. I like books that are a lot, I think. Yeah, I think I think so too. I also like books that are a lot. I just think that the pacing of that one was off for me. It also, again, just wasn't what I was anticipating. But the second half of that book fucking slaps. <laughs> it, it's just an objective truth in the world. It's good. Read it. Read it, if nothing else, to see what the fuck we're talking about. <laughs> 
Well, we're reading it later in the season. So if you haven't read it yet, you will. Now you know that you should. So kind of conversely to my last pick where it was a book that I loved and the larger internet seemed to hate it. My number seven book was a book that the first time I read it, I didn't really like and didn't really drive with, but everybody else was obsessed with. And I sort of had the feeling that it was a time and place issue with me and not with the book. And I was totally right because I reread it this year. Five stars was absolutely phenomenal. I'm already in the middle of the second book. And this book is The Poppy War by R.F. Kuang. This book is the only high fantasy on this list, which might actually be kind of surprising because fantasy is my shit and I read a lot of high fantasy. A lot of the books that I read this year had magical realism or fantasy elements, but this is the only true high fantasy I read that really did it for me this year. And this book follows Rin, who is the only girl from her small southern village to pass the Keiju, which is the empire-wide test that you need to get into the academies. And then it follows her journey into Syngard, which is the most elite military school in the whole country. And then once she's there, she sort of discovers that she has a talent for shamanism. But then once the third poppy war breaks out, she discovers that learning about war and the realities of war are two entirely different things. This is a real grim, dark, super, super, super dark fantasy story. There are trigger warnings in this for pretty much anything that you can imagine. So if you're not into gore, don't read it. And I would say, especially if you're sensitive to sexual assault and sexual violence, this is definitely not the book for you. This is a book that was based really heavily by the actual historical event, The Rape of Nanking. So it's really intense. And for me, the fact that a lot of some of the grimmer events were based on real history that actually happened to people was a lot to unpack and kind of contend with in the book. It's not to say that the whole novel is a one-to-one with actual historical events, but that was a heavy inspiration for what happened here. I think the author handled it really, really well and sensitively, given the fact that it is very much a book about the horrors and realities of war, which are not sensitive and not easy to deal with. So all of that should be known if you're going to go into the series. But for me on the second read, it really, really worked. I really empathized with Rin, who finds herself in a really impossible situation and who makes terrible, terrible choices. But you can see how she gets to the place where she makes some really terrible choices. And I'm loving the second book so far. That's really interesting. I want to read that now because I like the you're mentioning these historical elements that play into the fantasy. But I don't know, because high fantasy for me kind of feels like work sometimes. I feel that. I think it is kind of work sometimes. And I will say too, it's based off real historical elements, but the book itself reads like high fantasy. This is more like a, if you know what happened in history, you can see the parallels rather than a learn from. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Okay. My next book is a graphic novel. It's for children. (laughs) We love it. It's a YA graphic novel. It's called The Dark Matter of Mona Starr. And it is by Laura Lee Goldidge. And I picked this book because it does a really great job of describing depression to the point where I pulled it up at my library on my Libby app, which send people screenshots so that they could get the depression metaphors because I felt like it just was so relatable and so beautiful. It is about a young girl in high school whose best friend moves away to Hawaii and she has to learn to deal with her depression on her own and also 
find new friends. And that seems like a kind of bland storyline. But if you're a fan of graphic novels, please pick this book up because it's so incredibly beautiful. And the illustrations are gorgeous. And yeah, it just does such a great, it's it's great representation, I feel. And it's also just a beautiful story. I love it. I love a beautiful story. How wonderful. <laughs> All right. My next one is Hench by Natalie Zena Walshots which is a superhero book about a woman who is essentially working a very boring corporate job for a villain when she gets very chronically injured by a superhero sort of situation and becomes obsessed with calculating the human cost of superheroes rescues slash antics slash whole situation And then that obsession leads her into full-blown horrifying villainy herself. I read this very long book in one sitting. It was super action-packed, and I think it really captured the nuances of what it means to be good, what it means to be evil, and moral choices in the world, and how easy it is to think that you are on the righteous, correct path, to feel like you literally have the data to back up that righteous path, And then suddenly find yourself in a place that is very corrupt and very dark. Wow. That sounds very fun. That sounds like a book I would read. I think you'd really like that one. It was super good. And it really, there are scenes in that book that feel like they're burned into my brain. Wow. Okay. My next recommendation is a lit fic, and you've actually already heard it on the podcast before. I have a few podcast books in my top 10, and it's called Oh Beautiful by Jung Yoon. This book is really great. It's about a biracial Korean woman who used to be a model, and she's in her 40s now, so she can't model, and she becomes a freelance journalist. And she's sent to North Dakota to follow the oil boom. She also happens to have grown up in North Dakota, not in the town that she's in, but in a similar town. And it's a really great look at American identity, I feel like, and just all of these timely topics that Americans today have to face. And it's an exploration of identity in general and how you navigate that, how you navigate being a intersectional human as we all are in some capacity in this world and navigate our many different identities. It's really beautifully written. And yeah, it just really did something. I, it helps too, I think, when I get to talk to the authors of the books for stickiness. But this is a book that I I don't know if people are going to ask me. I think someone actually did ask me kind of recently, do you have a book that is like a typical American novel? This is the book I would recommend. Oh, yeah, that's a great recommendation for that question. Jung is also one of the nicest people ever. She's just so lovely. That's a fantastic recommendation. I loved Oh Beautiful, too. Oh Beautiful also almost made this list for me. My next one is the Sylvia Moreno-Garcia that I was teasing before. I read The Beautiful Ones this year, and it just absolutely did it for me. So I read... Mexican Gothic, and as previously discussed, kind of liked, kind of disliked that book. I've also read Gods of Jade and Shadow by the same author, and I liked that book, but it wasn't a five star for me. But with both of those books, I was like, I think that this author really has the potential to write something that's just gonna bowl me over, and The Beautiful Ones was that. So The Beautiful Ones is a historical fiction with just a sprinkling of magic in it. Again, this has really been my bag this year. It's about a girl named Nina who really doesn't fit in well to like the sparkling, glittering, intense, upper-class society in Loisale. 
And then what happens when she meets and falls in love with Hector? Hector is a very talented telekinetic who makes her feel very seen and also helps her train her own telekinetic powers. But Hector's got a secret and things kind of go to shit when that secret comes to light. This book is, I think, in some ways, sort of a basic plot, but the characters and the writing are just so beautiful. It really made me feel really deeply and really intensely while I was reading it. That's amazing. I didn't even know this book existed, but I'm very excited to explore it now. It's a goodie. I think you'll like it. Okay, my next book is another podcast book that hasn't been released yet, but will be soon. And it's called The House of Rust by Kahija Abdallah Bajaber. It's a great book. The House of Rust is kind of a lot. There's Have you read it yet, Maggie? Mm-hmm. You have? Okay, interesting. So it's kind of magical realism, kind of playing with Mombasa mythology. But I, I got to talk to the author, as you'll hear in an episode that we're soon to be releasing. And the mythology, while influenced by myths from her hometown, isn't exactly one-on-one because it's kind of disrespectful to use that mythology, is how she explained it to me. And it's just, it's a great coming-of-age story. There's a lot going on. People who get their panties in a twist about pacing might want to stay away. But I found the pacing really meaningful. And yeah, there's just, it's it's a coming-of-age story. That's all I can say. It's a magical, realist, sort of fantasy coming-of-age story. (laughs) There's talking animals, if you're into that. Yeah, lots of talking animals. (laughs) We're in like the top four for me now. The next four books on my list are all books that I think I've mentioned a lot on the podcast. So I'm going to keep them pretty short, but they're my top four. These are the books that if I could scream from the rooftops about, I would scream from the rooftops about, you know? So the first one is The Song Below Water by Bethany C. Morrow. This is a YA contemporary book with, you guessed it, a little magic. This book follows best friends slash sisters, Tavia, who's a siren, and then Effie, who's magical powers are strange and still developing while they navigate Portland, Oregon as two young black women. And then when the world is rocked and and changed in the wake of a siren murder trial, Tavia and Effie really find themselves at the center of a lot of racially and magically motivated tension as they come to terms with their power and the world that really wants to keep them from using it. This book is so good. And the audiobook is really, really excellent and has two narrators for each perspective. So highly recommend. That was a good book. I enjoyed that as well. My next book is another one that's a podcast book. We read it (laughs) to open up season three, and it's called Against White Feminism, Notes on Disruption by Rafia Zakaria. This book was really important to me because... I think it gave me the schematic understanding I needed this year to understand how to push colonizing epistemologies and colonial epistemologies, I guess. And those that may know, I'm working in information science. So it's it's a take on how we talk about people outside of the West and how we talk about people who aren't white, essentially, and how feminism and white feminism specifically has taken white supremacist tactics to marginalize other women 
from other communities across the globe. But this book does a really great job of breaking down how that works systemically and how that works on a narrative and storytelling basis and how that works throughout history and in a historical structure and how we how we narrate that history. So it was a really great book and I brought it with me throughout my studies this year and I will probably continue to use it as a reference point. Very nice. That episode was also really good. If y'all haven't, if y'all are here, but somehow haven't listened to that one, listening to Rafia speak about her own work is really powerful and also super enlightening. So I do recommend, and if you have listened to that episode, go see other things that she's done too, because she's just a joy to listen to speak. She's a very smart human. Number three on my list is The Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Bouley. This is the book that made me cry the most this year. I don't actually cry very often while I'm reading anymore. I used to a lot when I was younger and now as an adult, I'm cold and hard in my soul and it's hard to pull that kind of emotion out of me. But I cried six times reading this book. This is a YA murder mystery about a biracial Ojibwe teenager who witnesses a shocking and very heart-wrenching murder, which then embroils her in the middle of a much larger criminal investigation that the FBI is conducting relating to a drug sting. Donis as a main character is so compelling and her story of trying to navigate the world where she's constantly told that she's kind of in between and doesn't really quite fit is difficult to read but I think also is ultimately empowering as she just starts defining who she is herself and not necessarily where outside society tells her that she does and doesn't fit and does and doesn't belong. Also, I'm not usually one for mysteries. Mystery thriller isn't something that I read a ton of, but I thought that this one was really clever and very well done. So if you like mysteries or just really gripping kind of sad YA contemporary, I think that this is a book for you. Okay, I have a YA book recommendation as well. This year I discovered verse novels. I read a lot of them, but my favorite, and this is number two on my list, is Punching the Air by Ibi Zaboy and Yusuf Salam. And for those that don't know, Yusuf Salam was one of the Central Park Five. He was falsely accused of attacking a white woman running in Central Park. This story is a really, it's a verse novel. It's a really great story about a boy who is in juvenile detention for being a part of some sort of altercation with a group of white boys, I guess, in his neighborhood who probably weren't supposed to be there. And it's just kind of about, I mean, not that they not supposed to be there. They were, they were there, but they didn't live there. <laughs> and it's a really great look at how incarceration works and how it affects young people and systemic racism, specifically in schools and how it works within the juvenile detention system. I don't know. It just, juvenile detention is a really horrible thing and incarceration is awful for all humans, but it really bothers me that we treat young people in the same way that we treat adult prisoners because we already know that no human should be undergoing that treatment. So it's a really good book though and you should y'all should read it. <laughs> it's really beautiful. I've had that book on hold in my library for so long and I think I still have another like eight weeks before it gets to me, but I want to read it so bad. I read another E.B. as a boy this year, Pride. It was a Pride and Prejudice retelling. It was very interesting. Ooh, I've heard good things about that from one of my students, actually. It was really, really good. I preferred reading it physically to the audiobook experience, but it was totally worth it. And that's coming from somebody who doesn't really like Pride and Prejudice to begin with. So this is interesting because this student, Maggie, just so you know, this student also reads like you read. They were talking to me about how they needed novels for their train rides, which is only like an hour. And they read whole ass novels. 
during that hour. We're kindred spirits. <laughs> All right, number two for me is a whole trilogy. I've been talking about this trilogy nonstop. It's The Extraordinary Adventures of the Athena Club by Theodora Goss. I have never loved a group of characters so aggressively. This is a trilogy that follows the monstrous daughters of famous literary characters. So think like we're following Justine Frankenstein, Mary Jekyll, Diana Hyde, etc, etc. As they're trying to unwrap the mystery of Edward Hyde and the secret society that he was a part of and sort of what their origins were as these kind of monstrous girls. It's a little historical fiction. Well, it's a lot historical fiction. It's a little bit fantasy in the sense that there's monstrous elements, but there's no magic necessarily. Well, there's a little bit of magic. It, that's mostly later in the series, though. It's just very much a heartwarming YA series about found family and friendship between six young girls who are very much outside of society. That's beautiful. I love that. It kind of sounds like a refrigerator monologue's a little bit of a plot. Oh, really? I have that on my TBR, but I haven't read it. Oh, okay. I was just wondering if it was. It's like, yeah, okay. I do not know. My next book, my number one, is Honey Girl by Morgan Rogers. <laughs> and full disclosure, I still have a few pages of this book that I have not read because I just really don't want to finish it. Honey Girl was my first sapphic romance, I guess, that was just focused on sapphic romance as a genre. And it's just really beautiful. And, you know, Maggie mentioned books talked a little bit about like how all romances are anti-capitalist this one is actually a little bit anti-capitalist I'd say a little bit explicit about it and you know it's just gorgeous and it's about a girl who got her doctorate in astronomy and then gets married in Las Vegas <laughs> during her birthday <laughs> and then she's trying to navigate this big life disruption because also now she has her doctorate and she doesn't know what to do with it necessarily and it's just beautiful it's just a beautiful read and everyone should read it <laughs> It's so good. It is so good. It's also another one that we're going to be talking about in February, I think, in more depth on the podcast. All the books that are sticky for me end up in the podcast somehow because I want to talk about them. <laughs> What's your number one? My number one is The Prophets by Robert Jones Jr. I've been talking about this book all year because I read it in February and it's been my number one since February. But the premise of the book is it's a book about love between Isaiah and Samuel in the 1830s. They both live on a plantation in the very deep south. And the book really follows what happens when a betrayal makes the love that those two men share seem like it's sinful and a danger to the other enslaved people who are navigating the plantation as well. And what all of the repercussions of that are throughout the entire plantation. It's a really hard read in some ways, but it's also very hopeful and very beautiful. And... For me, it's just got everything. The plot really worked for me. The characters stuck with me. The setting was really vivid. The writing was beautiful. The commentary felt both historically appropriate and also really timeless in the sense of how we're still navigating the repercussions of this history today. And this book is just like everything to me. I loved it so very much. Oh, that's amazing. I want to read that book too, because this is not the first time you've mentioned it. I love historical queer, queer stories because I feel like I don't see that as often. So I like it when those narratives come back. 
Me too. This is definitely not a romance, although a romance is sort of the center of attention. I mean, like the romance is what sets off this chain of reactions. And for me, that really works in that the romance is a big part of the plot, but it's not a romance novel. And I tend to gravitate towards that kind of thing when I'm reading, generally speaking. Yeah, that's fair. That's very fair. We'll see you soon. Next week, we are doing House of Rest, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, next week you'll you'll listen to an interview from the author of The House of Rest, and then we'll come back and tell you our 2022 reading goals. I think that's also the last episode that I'm not a part of. And then Maggie will be back full time, loud and proud. Forever. See y'all next week. Goodbye. Bye. Don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcatcher app. You can support this podcast by going to anchor.fm slash RGBC and clicking the support this podcast button. Our episode schedule can be found in our show notes or by going to our website rebelgirlsbook.club and clicking read along with the show. You can follow us at RGBC pod on Instagram at rebel girls book club on Facebook at Rebel Girls Book One on Twitter, and you can email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by The Gays. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously. Rebel Girls Book Club is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.